152 yards should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. Yo, yo, welcome in golf fans. We have arrived finally at the exciting electric and now elevated waste management Phoenix open. Uh, I'm here to provide a comprehensive and hopefully decent analysis of the betting board this week. I'm Joe Idoni. Welcome into preferred lines, a uh, giant. Welcome back to those old and maybe some new people. I, 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 I don't know what happened to the algorithm today, but I picked up a bunch of new followers probably because of the guests that I'm going to have on here in just a few minutes. But welcome in if you haven't checked out the show before. Um, as always, would genuinely appreciate a like and subscribe if you can pop on over to the Preferred Lines YouTube page. Um, would love you to subscribe there as well. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to drop them in the chat. I will do my best to try to bring them up. Thrilled to have you along for the ride. As always, presented, brought to you by the Fantasy Golf Pod, my buddies Chad Eric uh, Jish, they got the Golf Guys program Wednesdays at 520. He released sort of the, the the first early preview this morning as well. Give them a follow at Fantasy Golf Pod. Okay, here's what's on tap for tonight. Like I said, I'm going to bring in a guest here in just one second. We're going to go over some questions. I actually have some questions for him uh, regarding the ever-evolving golf content space in general. We'll try to get through that quickly. Um, shift over to the Waste Management Phoenix Open, where we'll go through the entire odds board, a quick course preview. Like I mentioned, if you have any questions, feel free to drop those in the chat, and then we'll do some final thoughts and get out of here. But let's not take up any more of your time without welcoming back to Preferred Lines. Uh, now recurring guest of the show and and basically the godfather of, of internet golf content. Uh, one of the original founders of Fantasy National and Run the Sims, the founder, of course, of his very own Mayo Media Network, the most prolific and recognized voice in all of golf content. Welcome back to the show, Pat Mayo. What's up, my dude? That is far too generous of an intro. I'm not going to lie to you. I try to do people. I try to get them a little excited to come on, fire them up a little bit. Uh, how are you doing on this Monday evening, Pat? It is late for me. I don't normally record <laughs> this late, and I'm an hour ahead of you, so... I got two little kids. I'm just going to be, I might be passed out by the end of the show. I know, I know. It's a rush for me. Hopefully the kids get, uh, hopefully bedtime will be complete by the time we get out of here. We didn't have to do too much. That's always kind of my goal here. Uh, pleasure to have you on, Pat. Let's, let's start here. I have a question for you right off the bat. Uh, new season starts this week, I guess in the minds of like many people who come back to golf content this week, right? We're like 16 weeks into the season. But I think in the eyes of most casual fans, like this is when they really start tuning into golf. The space is evolving. Golf content is evolving, as I mentioned. Like, where's the future of this headed in the next two years? Some sort of incorporation into the actual product itself. Yeah. The being its own one of the ESPN. I've been talking to people at ESPN. They have the ESPN Plus streams, and I know that there are people fighting very hard at ESPN to dedicate one of those feeds to be a pure gambling feed, which seems like an absolute no-brainer to me, but uh, selling people who wear suits for a living, much more difficult. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with it, and I'm glad that you kind of brought that up. But um, 
like the it feels like we're in a close proximity now closer than ever to sort of merging mainstream content with like those of us who talk about this on youtube because like do we really need a, an ex 20 year pga pro telling us about the the gambling odds on the screen it just doesn't seem to be working and i think that we're getting closer than ever to that i mean th- these these guys literally the only people on the planet that cannot gamble on the pga tour are now referencing the pga tour gambling so it's just kind of funny and i'm glad that you mentioned that and i hope that of course you're you you're should be one of the first names that come to mind and sort of pioneering this thing for all of us well, we'll see about that. I, you know, I'm aging. Actually, I'm probably aging into the golf demographic. Weirdly enough, as the demographics break down, but in the content side of things, I'm now one of the older people. That's just you, once you're around so long, you're just real old. Everyone else is very young, especially when you take a look at them. I'm trying to keep my youthful good looks, but that can only last. So money can only buy so much youth, Joe. So eventually, I'm just going to age like 20 years overnight, and everyone's going to be like, "Good lord, Mayo's like 55 or something like that." It's going to be terrible news hopefully i'm out of the game by the time i'm 55 that would be ideal i will push back a little bit because for most things i think that athletes especially ex-athletes talking about the sport that they played as it pertains to gambling is just usually a foolish type thing generally ex-athletes have very little to say that's why when they do they seem like it's a bonanza of TV gold because you're like, oh, my God, I, I can't believe that this is what they're actually talking about. Generally speaking, like the, the best hot take artists or the best analysts end up coming from ex-journalists who transition over to more of an opinion opinionated style because they're fluent with what hot takes are, how to actually construct an argument, what the actual storylines may be. And then they have all of this media training where they can go on speaking from a in front of a camera, unlike myself, pretty eloquently, and actually deliver the message that they wanted to deliver. And when you talk about athletes, it's, um, uh, and I don't know, they, they really want it. You, know, you got to really want it. If you didn't really want it, how'd you ever make it, I suppose? And when one team loses in the Super Bowl, I mean, just look at Phoenix this week. You know, 135 guys are just not going to have, they, they didn't want it enough, Joe. Only one guy wanted it enough. That's why he won. But golf is weird because these guys are gambling all the time anyway. You feel like it would be a very natural transition. It just it doesn't translate. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that I've tried in, in some of my content to sort of blend it. And, and I'm much younger into this than you are. Like I just started three years ago. So originally it was about the picks and then it was about information. And now I'm kind of shifting toward this like medium ground of understanding that the show is mostly for entertainment for people. So like I commend you on like what you did with fantasy national to start up. And I think it was, it was brilliant of you to, to, be one of the first to just give people the tools, right? Instead of giving people picks, instead of giving people this is who you need to take, give them the tools to kind of figure that out themselves. And it seems like much more of a sustainable business idea, am I right? Than just like, because eventually we're you're going to lose, I'm going to lose, we're all going to lose, but they can kind of blame themselves if they were the ones that create the model versus blaming the tout on their, on their pick site that they subscribe to. Well, they can just yell at a computer and then, you know, the computer doesn't register that anyone is yelling at it, but it does put the onus on the person who's making the picks where all of gambling should lie as it is. It's fun to go on camera and yell about picks and try to make that as entertaining as possible, but you hit on it. Everyone loses. Most people lose far more than they win, like especially, especially in golf, because if you win once every six weeks or so. You're probably getting at if you structure like betting cards properly, you're probably going to end up up for the year. That's like one out of every six weeks picking a winner. And since most of us lose, you have to find that 
we're losing a whole lot more than that, or we're horrible with bankroll management. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all could could use a little lesson in bankroll. Like we're not. I think there's a difference, right? And I think you and, and Rob, I wanted to reference the show that you and Rob Pozzola did on basically the the gambling content space in general. I think it was fantastic. Anyone who wants to go check that out, it, it's up on Pat's uh, Mayo Media Experience feed and the Pat Mayo Experience feed. Um, it was fantastic. So one of the things that I really grew from, took from that is is the lack of importance of picks and i've kind of tried to focus on that and i feel like i've had a good track record of being you know transparent and free and profitable but but this is probably a conversation that i should have with you off air but i'm doing it live on the internet instead like what advice would you give for someone like me and there's a ton of like relatively my type golf content creators who have hit this initial sort of plateau i'll call it right now um where we're wondering if the direction is more pick laden if it's more just about creating an entertaining show for people i've kind of tried to embrace some of that aesthetic with some of the graphics but you know do you have anything that you would you would give sort of in terms of professional advice for someone with a relatively new podcast trying to reach a new audience right now if you can't find a lane for yourself that is completely different than anyone else's, like I do think that picks make the most sense because okay. especially if you're doing video content and you're putting that on YouTube, YouTube is owned by owned by Google. So if you have picks within the context of your show, so waste management open picks, let's say, and someone types that into Google, there is a chance that your video is going to come up and people will be like, oh, they're giving out picks on that video. I'll click on that. Mm-hmm. Do, do they need to be the best picks? I mean, If someone new stumbles across me, they see the size of my audience. They see people respond. Uh, We try to really elevate the quality of the visuals of the show using good cameras, good lighting, everything like that. It seems like I'm super legit if you just never knew who I was. But people who have watched me for a long time know the picks are kind of ridiculous. Not ridiculous, but like if you've been tailing my picks now for like two years, you're down a ton of money because I know because I'm down a ton of money. But (laughs) Is it just about entertainment for you? Do you want to have a nice sweat? Uh, I've always tried to equate it, especially golf betting of why golf betting is truly the best is that, you know, I can spend a hundred bucks. Let's say that's all I want to spend this week for golf betting. I make those bets on, I think about it on Monday and Tuesday and I make the bets on Wednesday. And then I have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of entertainment out of my a hundred dollars. I mean, that's no different than if my wife and I go to the movies at this point, get (laughs) popcorn and a drink. That's what like 80 bucks. And that's for two hours of entertainment. Like it's an entertainment proposition. That's why people bet. I mean, everyone gets into betting thinking that they're going to win and they'll like, never have to work again. We all know, you find out very quickly that's not true. In fact, I think that there should be legislation put in place that no matter what size of bet you put down as your first bet, no matter what the bet is, you automatically lose. I want to see how people react to that. Yeah, that's interesting because a lot of them, with the way these sites are working, it is the first bet is essentially free, right? There's yeah. so many promos. I, I grew up in Ohio. All my friends are now like... January 1st have eight different sports books that they have access to and they're getting free bet emails every day. Um, it, it seems to be totally constantly changing. Like we talked about and, and as is the world of, of professional golf. So let's shift over there before we talk about the, the first elevated event that we basically have on the PGA tour. Um, some interesting stuff. So have you been keeping track like much on this, the live and DP world tour litigation? It seems interesting to me, Pat, that, why is the DP World Tour, do you think, is so closed in terms of accepting these live players onto their tour? Like, what 
What's the downside for them in terms of having Cam and DJ and Brooks and Bryson and Phil show up to a few events a year, collect some OWGR points? Um, you know, the event that the, the thing that they had with Reed and Rory got more engagement and views, I feel like in terms of that tournament would have normally gotten. Is that something you see that, that could potentially happen for the DP World Tour? Or is that are they too aligned with the PGA Tour at this point? That is the key factor here. I think left to their own devices that the DP World Tour would happily embrace all these guys coming. I think Feinberg and I spoke about it at the time when the DP World Tour aligned themselves with the PGA Tour and became a bigger factor. So now you're seeing things like the Scottish Open be a crossover event. You're going to have more integration with the Euro Tour and the PGA Tour for a lot of events and guys being able to get eligibility on the PGA Tour by playing through the DP World Tour. And I think the PGA owns like 40% of it. There's something like that now. They can share resources and camera crews and everything like that. I thought they would have been better off signing up with Liv uh, to create these weird proxy wars in a very legal fashion overseas. And just from what you saw uh, in Dubai two weeks ago with Rory and Reed, like that was amazing. Like Poulter was up there on the leaderboard. Like it's a, a great way to still retain some of the star power of the guys who left for live. And I think people are like kidding themselves to not think that the guys who went to live actually do have star power. They basically just took who had, I would say the highest Q ratings. Cause obviously tiger didn't go Ricky or Jordan or Justin Thomas or Rory or John Rom. doesn't matter who it was. Like those guys are, obviously huge stars, but they took the actual like characters from the PGA tour, the players that people love to root against. Essentially they, they created a tour of villains and then they started going for talent with Cam Smith. And we'll see. I mean, it's been rumored that Patrick Cantlay is going to be gone for like a year and a half. Now we'll see what eventually happens with him, but you also have the high end talent guys. Like I said, Cam Smith, DJ Brooks, but you have Bryson and Reed and I guess Richard Bland probably isn't really a guy that people care about, but Westwood and Poulter, like real characters. Then I think golf is better when we see more of them and it's hard to see anything of them when they're playing on the live tour. Yeah. And I think golf in terms of like engagement from a very casual fan, like I just think to my buddies and my group of like group texts of, of old high school friends, like the thing, the controversy and the, the sort of rivalry that was created during the whole Brooks versus Bryson thing. Like they were all tuned into that. Like we need some of these rivalries. We need a little bit of feud every now and then. So I think that at some point, hopefully we can find some sort of not necessarily a merger, but some sort of middle ground where these players, and we can see more of these events where they're competing against each other outside of just the major championships. I thought it was funny when people were pretending like the major championships weren't going to allow the live guys to play. Like this could not have worked out better for the four major championships that you get to have these cross pollinated fields. Like those are built in storylines before the event starts. You have all of the talking points. And then what happens if it's a two V two down the stretch between two live guys, especially if it's like the real, because like Cam Smith is on the live tour, but does he really feel like a live guy to you? Right. No, no. But like Brooks does. Bryson yes. does. We need like enemies over there. Cam Smith doesn't fit the bill. Exactly. So if you could get a even Phil in contention somehow anywhere <laughs> at the Masters, like it would just be glorious and people would be all over that. And 
they just win very bigly in this situation. And I, I don't know. If, I don't know how much it's going to affect the ratings overall in terms of a rating spike. It could be nothing. They could drop for all I know, but I don't think you're going to see the same drop as we've been seeing in PGA tour ratings at all of the other events. Essentially it just boils down to there's like six events that anyone cares about anymore. And Phoenix is now one of those. So you have one per month. Like, would you consider this essentially Jeff and I talked about this on my show today, but this is a winter major. Yes. It's just, uh, it's, it's next after the players, in my opinion, at this point. So now you can go Phoenix in February, the players in March masters, PGA championship, us open British open. So you have the yep. four majors to end. Then you have these two super field, what feel like quasi majors, the next rung below. Those are your six events. Those are the only ones that matter now. Yeah. And we've even seen, so the ratings have been terrible this season, but, but this I think is the real litmus test. Like they're, tr I'll give them credit. They're trying new things on the coverage. I thought the thing with Homa and Mitchell was a good idea to sort of mic them up. I wish they could incorporate a little bit of picture in picture so we could still see the golf while that's going on. But that's me being picky. They tried the, I don't know what to call that thing that they did last week where they predict where the ball is going to go. They've tried to, um, bring some more youth into the microphones with Smiley and Colt Nost and, and they're, they're trying stuff. Um, but really I think the main thing that they've tried is elevating these certain events. We have one this week. This is going to be a huge test for them in terms of seeing how the ratings are. I know it's the last week of, of professional football, but they're basically up against nothing. It's the ultimate appetizer. It's a great course. It's a great finish with risk reward and, and, trouble and birdies everywhere down the stretch um, i'm really interested to see what this week brings see you, you say risk reward i just say reward there's no risk whatsoever mm -hmm. where's the risk i guess the risk is i mean we've seen people blow it on 17 is but really the but one but what, if you go for the green on 17 what's truly the risk what's the worst case scenario making bogey the worst case scenario is making bogey because you have to assume that whoever wins is going to make birdie there And this tournament, I think is so tight over the years. We've seen so many playoff finishes that it ultimately, I think always comes down to that hole more so than 16, more so than 18. In my eyes, I just think back to the Brooks year, like really it was Xander who was going to win that tournament. Xander couldn't get up and down. Brooks somehow chips in. It seems like that hole more than anything to me. You're right. It's not really a decision. You have to take driver so it's not like a risk reward decision in your mind but i think depending on where that ends up the the you have to make birdie there and there's a lot of guys who end up in that water and it's a tough up and down at that point for par it is but i, I think the field converts par after hitting into the water like 45 percent of the time which is a super high number mm -hmm. yes for finding the water it's funny the worst spot you can really be with that Sunday pin that's in the very back right yeah. is being at the very front of the green. That seems like the worst. Such spot. a long putt. Yeah. Yeah. Like the three putt percentage is like 70%. Remember Ollie putted it into the water from up there. I think a couple of guys have near putted it into the water, even after Ollie that I remember in recent years. So I would guess that's the ultimate risk reward <laughs> is just don't hit it to the front of the green. Other than that, you're going to be fine. Yes. Um, so let's get, I'm going to get into the course preview real quickly. Um, we all know it. TPC Scottsdale, the atmosphere is incredible. 7,200 plus yards, par 71, Tom Weiskopf masterpiece here. I would say the greens larger than average, flat oil slick. I'm going to call them Bermuda grass greens. I know there's like eight different grasses in there, but how about uh, this e easy greens? 
They are easy, but they're quick, though. Like, sure, they're, they're... but like you've seen so many shit putters putt well yes. in this event. You're right. Kyle Stanley comes right to the top of my mind. Hideki, <laughs> Scotty Scheffler. Yep. Um, almost zero rough, noteworthy. I think the water creeps in in some precarious positions along the back. Um, winners of the last 12 years have averaged 46 to 1 on the odds board. Stork cut line minus 1. Last six winners, Scheffler, Brooks, Webb, Fowler, Woodland. Then Hideki won twice before that. In terms of key stats this week, when you... Pat May, or building sort of your fantasy national model that you look back on years from, what's like your top two things that you're giving the most weight to this week for this course? Uh, strokes gained off the tee and opportunities yep. gained. Okay. I have strokes gained off the tee very high as well. I was actually looking. So fantasy national, I'm going to pull it up here just so I can bring this on the screen. Cause I, I, I've noticed something interesting about this course in particular and all the water I have in my notes from previous years, basically lines the left side of the hole. So what I found that's kind of interesting that I think Fantasy National has that I really haven't seen anywhere else, if you go to fairways and greens, you can kind of look at this driver avoidance where where they miss right if they're play if they play a draw typically their driver avoidance left rating is going to be very bad like you see for rory mcelroy here if they primarily play a fade uh you're going to see it on the right hand side here you have justin thomas who can't hit a fairway either way but i think that there's something you know about xander who who doesn't tend to miss left very much i think that's why he's had some success at places like phoenix because he's able to keep it sahith comes right to mind like sahith misses everything to the right he pushes these big giant fades off the tee and miss he doesn't miss anything to the left because of the way he sets up i think that's why he was able to play very aggressively here so one other thing that i was kind of looking at in fantasy national this week and of course i i always rate when looking for outrights pat i try to put a little bit more emphasis on around the green game i don't know how you feel about that but i just feel like it's so important in terms of hitting an outright bet i don't know if this is in my mind or not but if you're going to pick a winner, they have to be able to get up and down in situations like I talk about Brooks. We saw it was the difference for Colin Morikawa when he lost the century. We saw it was the difference basically for Max Homa a couple of weeks ago. Um, being able to get up and down in certain positions ultimately, I think, decides the winner more often than not on a Sunday. Yeah, I think it's less important at this course because, like you said, it's a mean, it's a higher than average green in regulation. There's essentially no real rough that's around. You need to be decent at a greenside bunkers, I suppose. Yeah. So if you're gonna miss, that's probably where you're going to miss. But this tournament weirdly has a bunch of holeouts from off the green. So mm -hmm. almost like putting, I feel like around the green is weirdly neutralized at this course, where guys just chip in all the time. There is a lot of that here. I think you're right because it's so, such flat greens that you're really never short-sighted where we saw so many times at Pebble and the Farmers where if you were on one side of the green, it was impossible to even really get it close to the hole. I think you have that opportunity here. Um, let's talk about the odds board a little bit. Up at the top, John Rahm, plus 850. These are numbers at DraftKings Sportsbook that are up at Fantasy National now. Rory's 9-1. to one. Scotty Scheffler, 14-1. to one. Xander, 14-1. to one. Tony Finau, 18 Morikawa, JT, Cantlay, all at 20. Uh, where are your eyes drawn to at the top of the odds board? Thomas and Morikawa. Okay. Why they're, so? They're, they're both in the 20s. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, so I heard this. I wanted to ask you this. I heard you and Jeff talking about this, and I want to have like a little constructive debate here because I've been quiet on this take, but you said... I, I, 
10 out of 10 times, they're the same odds, right? Max Homa and Justin Thomas. You take Justin Thomas every time there. I think Max Homa is creeping up there and doesn't really get the credit he deserves. He's two more points here on DraftKings. I think if they're even odds, um, I kind of like Homa in that situation. You might be right. I'm just talking about for me. If you were to yeah. list them both at the same odds and tell me, who do you think is going to win this golf tournament? I'd be like, Justin Thomas? Mm-hmm. What I've noticed about JT in the last two wins, primarily the players and the PGA, obviously huge wins that Max doesn't have anything quite that big. I mean, he's got Riviera, he's got Farmers, he's got some big ones, right? But but nothing like that. They were big come-from-behind Sunday victories, both of them. I think Bryson kind of was, was a prohibitive favorite in that players, and Thomas was able to charge. Now, I remember there were some huge numbers on Justin Thomas, like late Saturday, Sunday morning in that event. Same thing at the PGA Championship. There were like 100 to ones out there on Saturday and even into Sunday. And he's able to sort of really good at, at charging and hitting full speed on the gas. I think Max has just been so impressive to me. And he's he's got six wins now in the last, whatever, three years. 5-0 and in the President's Cup. He's done it from behind. He's done it from the lead. I just don't see any deficiencies in his game, Pat, where I know Justin Thomas has one major deficiency that I can point out. Um, I feel like Max is just a really well-rounded player. And I think right now I, I put him as like maybe the fifth or sixth best player in the world. Seems like a lot of recency bias. It is. It's totally like, recency what, bias. Like why, why like uh, overall, like if we're just going to take it of, so you say like past four years or past three years has the six wins. It's really good. I mean, if we just go past two years, Hideki has three wins and a major. Mm-hmm. So would you say he's a better player than Hideki? I would say right now, yeah. I think my argument is just... He's a better player? What's that? Like, if you were just power ranking them this week, he would be the better player. Now, the odds would agree with you. Yes. But I think we need to take some term of, like, long form into this. And I would say that Homa's probably, like... A, like, why is Homa better than Finau? Because he beat him last time that they played against each other? I think Finau is an interesting one because he's really has that hot recent form as well and such recency. I think it's totally recency bias. I think it's what it, I just saw the last time that he teed it up, but I was just even more um, impressed with him the last tournament than I had been previously. I just think that he's got a lot of things clicking right now with the confidence, with the mentality, and I just feel like all parts of his game are really sound where Thomas has slipped a little bit on the approach play. And, and we know that the putting is, is unpredictable with him. Oh yeah, most definitely. Yes. In terms of being well-rounded, I think that Homa is Homa is very Xander esque in that way, mm -hmm. but like, who would you rather have? Who would you think is a higher rated player, Xander or Max Homa? I've got Xander. I but took why? Xander this he week. Win as much as Max Homa. I know. Um, I, I, I don't see the flaws. It's it's very much a similar reason um, that I don't like in Justin Thomas, where I know that the approach play has been struggling of late. He's actually lost strokes on approach his last 36. And the putter's just so volatile to me. I feel like that he's very tough to predict. Now, if Justin Thomas is in a position where he's he's four or five back on Sunday and you can get him at 50 or 60 to one, I think that he's a very likely candidate to make that charge because he gets on these super hot runs and he's shown the ability to do so. Uh, I think from a starting bet outright perspective, I think that I'd rather have a well-rounded player who has good course history here. I think Max, in terms of strokes gain at this course, first expectation was number one and Xander was number three. So they both play really well at Scottsdale also. And who, if you go back and look at the past five years, who has gained the most strokes at this course? Is it JT? It is JT. See, 
There's always the other side of the coin. I so I took Xander this week. Um, I See, didn't the, take Max home. I just wanted to have that argument because I heard what, you what talk did, about it on the show. So fourteen to one. See that those odds just don't seem right to me. Like you could have bet Scheffler or Xander at fourteen to one. Like we all know Scheffler is a better player. Oh, uh, I don't there's know. A, there's that. A, and Homa has obviously Homa's won a bunch, and we did see the back-to-back wins for Xander last year. But mm-hmm. there is something to be said about these guys that do have deficiencies, but their glaring sure. skills are so much better than everyone else's that, that. if Scheffler could just putt. It was the case for him for two years. If he could just putt, the dam would break and he would just start winning. And what happened for a three month stretch? He putted and he won four times. Mm-hmm. But he's not putting really well right well, now. You're right. Before that last year coming into this either. But his short game was so on such a good run. And he, he was he was he got hot at the right time. And, and after this run, I don't think that many people had him at this event. And after so, that was it was clear that the putter had started clicking by the around the time of the the, the match play. Uh, where he was gaining significantly strokes. So Xander, I took it 16 to one. It's two points better. It, it's it's not much, but it's two points. Um, the last five starts, barring the TOC, which he withdrew from, he's got four top tens, two thirds in there. He's averaged almost four strokes on approach within those starts, back-to-back top threes at this event. Like I mentioned, I thought he should have won that Brooks year. Um, it's fair to argue that that number is not great on Xander. I just had a feeling that he was going to win this week and I'm kind of going with my gut on it. So um, he should be more along the 18 to 20 to one range, but I do feel like he has a better chance of winning and probability of winning in my opinion than like Morikawa or Thomas, who I just think can't get it going with the putter right now enough to win this event. I mean, Morikawa's gain strokes putting in both of it. Morikawa's come second and third this year. He's been awesome, but he, he has the... Sunday yips with the with the wedge. It's so or, bad. Or or he has the Sunday lights out with the wedge. It's one of two because we've right. seen it both ways with him. I know. It's Morikawa is a good number. Morikawa at twenty to one. I can't say anything bad about. I I don't mind it. I just happen to go Xander. Uh, well, the thing is, it opened at twenty five to one. That's been bet down to twenty to one. So that number was a lot better. It's like Homa opened at sixteen. What do you think is a good comp course for this place? Well, I, I was trying to, I, I actually don't know, but no. guys that have played well here have played well at Sawgrass. Historically, they play, played well at the Florida courses, realistically. Yeah. But to, to even go through that, like who who's played well at Honda, who's played well at Valspar, who has played well at Sawgrass. It's been a lot of correlation between guys who have won at mm-hmm. Sawgrass and won at this event. But then you go and look at it, it's like, well, what other courses correlate with like Sawgrass? It's like the Wyndham Championship. Which yeah, Webb has has Webb won the Wyndham? I feel like he's like Mister Wyndham. Maybe he's never won. Yeah, I think he's got a Wyndham. Well, it would just make him. But it seems like those somehow Sawgrass is the middle point between this place and Wyndham, and I can't figure out what the connection between Wyndham and this place is. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I kind of thought Honda. So it's interesting that you brought that up. Um, your Justin Thomas point makes some good sense there as he's one at the Honda. Ricky's one at the Honda. Um, another guy really kind well. of coming right down the Osborne who I bet next actually at 30 to one. It looks like he's 22 now at DraftKings uh, with Sungjae. Uh, I think he's the third most accurate off the tee in terms of the top 20 guys on the board, which I do place a little bit of importance on this week. He's plenty long. 
Um, last 50 rounds, he's been one of the best off the tee and ball strikers, really good out of the sand, great hands around the green. Won the Shriners, obviously, which was which was sort of like a desert golf course. And the Honda. So the Honda has these big, flat, really fast greens. I think that's the main comp. And, of course, water lurking all around. Uh, and when you see guys like Gary Woodland and Brooks and Justin Thomas and Ricky all kind of have a lot of success at both places, um, even though they don't necessarily look the same and they're on different spots in the country, I think that there could be a little bit of a correlation there. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure what it is. Is it? I mean, it could be you just named a lot of really good players who have had success at both True. this event <laughs> and the Honda. Is it that? they just are the collection of players that always played both these events. And if they always played both these events, then they were probably the best players in the field. It's very likely because they were both uh, Gary Woodland was on a great run. Ricky had a great many runs here as it kind of, coincided with when they were really good in Florida, when they were really good at the Honda, they were also really good here and they're really good other places too. So, I mean, listen, Norin has had he had a decent run last year at this event. Obviously, yeah. he he almost had the great run. Uh, but, you know, Luke List has never done really well at this tournament versus uh, and he's True. done pretty well at Honda in his career. I, I know it's tough to see. Like you mentioned, yeah. I mean, I gave I've been giving Sung Jay a really hard look and there's better numbers than the 22 to one out mm-hmm. there if you want to go get them. So he is inside the top three of the top 20 players on the board in driving accuracy. Tom Kim and Morikawa are far and away the two best. Yes, correct. They're way up there. They're almost above 70%. Uh, So let's talk about Tom Kim. I wanted, so two weeks ago before everything happened at the Farmers, I had Hideki. I wanted like a 35 on Hideki here. I got it this morning. I took it. I'm starting to think that maybe Tom Kim was the better bet. If you could pick one of the two of them, they're even odds now. It looks like on DraftKings, which would you rather have in this tournament? It's funny. I, I would rather bet Tom Kim at the same number, but I bet Hideki at 41 this morning. So it's a great number. It's just, yeah. It, they were just hanging numbers. Like I'm mm-hmm. not that strong willed. If I see a four in front of Hideki in Phoenix, like what are we doing here? Yeah. And things and he just really turned to that final round of the farmers was pretty special. I was hoping that he was able to finish it. And of course, this is this this was for so long. Like if you were a one and done player, this is where you burned Hideki. Almost everybody did. Remember the year he withdrew? Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> so, then the year uh, uh, the... just, look, just looking at it right now, Hideki, uh, 23rd and left avoid off the tee. There you go. Good. Xander, Morikawa, every, just, everything comes back to Morikawa here. Morikawa is good both ways, isn't he? He is good both ways. Yeah. Uh, what about it's a, it's kind of a, a, a bigger number than I think many people expected on two players coming up. So one is Victor Hovland. I was kind of shocked to see like a 35 to one on him. And the other is a little bit further down. I think you and Jeff talked about it a little bit, but there's like 50, 55s out there on Sam Burns. Both players have won a lot in like the last year and a half. Both are incredible talents. We know the upside is there. Um, sort of strange numbers on those two guys, right? What's really the difference between Sam Burns and Max Homa? I think Max is more consistent. Okay. But like, if you talk about just like overall win rate. Yes. Now, obviously Homa has more wins. Burns hasn't been around as long that, you know, Burns has what? Four wins, three wins now, something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. He has four. He has four wins. So he has four wins to Homa's. And now obviously the events are a little bit different. Uh, yes. Although Homa's aren't the greatest in the world. 
Burns certainly are not the greatest in the world. So I don't want to mm-hmm. compare them that way. But do you think that there should be two and a half times difference between them and odds? If we're just talking about winning outright in this tournament, like I'm probably going to yeah, blindly bet about. Burns at 55 because I think that number's silly. I, I kind of do too. And I've left some room and he's the one that I keep getting drawn back to. And that's the exact same reason. I think that the number is outrageous for his, his winning rate. Like when you look at him and you see Sahith there, nothing against Sahith, but you see him, you see like, you know, who else is there? Montgomery Hatton, who has Montgomery won. Hatton is there. Um, Cameron young is right there who we still haven't seen win. like, they all kind of have a similar skill set in a way in terms of the Gala Montgomery Burns, young i think in terms of how they play but burns is just has more wins than all of them combined it's it's i mean it's the consistency versus the spike why does right. xander have so few wins because he doesn't have the glaring inefficiencies or deficiencies in sure. his game but there's not really one thing you can point to that he does great burns you can when he's playing well he can put the entire field off the off the course right. and his td green game can be elite it's like why does siwoo win so much because siwoo is aggressive and goes for it and he can get red hot and when he's hot he's, he's unbeatable. his foot on the gas and he's unbeatable and he's unflappable and he's i love watching siwoo and players that that just go for it when they can feel it like whatever it is in their body and their hands whatever it is and they know that they have it um he goes for it and it only has first place on his mind I always kind of called him the like poor man's Rory because Rory will go, will play these rounds and it happens more regularly with Rory. This is why Rory's the number one player in the world, but you just watch him. You're like, Oh no, it's one of these days. And Rory's shooting 63 and he's just, he just hits everything to two feet. I remember watching it at quail hollow one year and like everyone was struggling on the course. And like, those are long approach shots at quail hollow, but he was just hitting it like 340 off the tee dead straight every time oh, it's like 170 on approach two feet don't worry about that uh it's just rory's putter that tends to get in the way of it it just but siwoo does that twice a year in isolated rounds it's like oh my like where is this guy all the time yes the irons are on fire and he like even just going back to sony like to teeing up the three wood like that like hitting it onto the green with a four iron out of that bunker that nobody was getting he, he i just love to watch him play i wanted to ask you about rory And this is kind of circling back to what we were talking about before, but for guys like Rory, right? And we're, we're 16 events into the PGA tour season. This is event number 17. We've seen the number one player in the world, the face of the PGA tour, the person who stood firmest and was the voice of the tour once this season. He won, of course, but we've seen him one time and he he does a lot of talk about growing the game and all this stuff. And then he goes and skips the farmers to take the paycheck in Abu Dhabi and he skips the tournament of champions. Like, I feel like we're very cautious in terms of saying anything negative about Rory. But like, is it a wise move for the tour to elevate these particular events that we're going to get great fields anyways? Or would it be nice to see the RSM or God forbid the Honda or the Sony and like force him to drive 10 minutes down the road from Jupiter and play in the Honda classic. Maybe, but I, I think they've picked, I mean, Honda's leaving as the sponsor, right? Honda is leaving from what I've heard here from the people who, who work the event. Um, I don't know that their hope is that the intention is that a new sponsor steps up and the, the tournament is still at this PGA national next year, just under a different title sponsor name. It's just you can't have that many big events as we found out. And mm-hmm. like one one a month 
It's kind of what you want to aim for at this point. And I have to grudge Rory for not playing any of these shit events during the swing season or the beginning of the year. <laughs> and listen, it's a payday for him to go over and play in Dubai, but that's a DP World Tour event. Like that's yeah. a, a tour he is a member of as well. So mm-hmm. it's you can criticize Rory for those things. I think that's completely fair game, but I don't think anyone has done more for the PGA Tour since this live thing started than Rory McIlroy. It's fair. That's a great point. So it's Andy, just um, throwing the game playing in Dubai is a part of that. You're right. That's very fair. Um, it just I almost feel like we should almost have a two separate seasons in a sense where it's like a preseason where we get a lot of these corn fairy tour guys and guys can play, but it just feels weird starting at event number 17. And we've seen the best player in the world once, but most people don't realize it's event number 17. You're right. You're right. And that changes this year, right? That does change this year. Um, I'll have to look at how the schedule pans out. But yes, they are making those adjustments uh, moving forward to the schedule. So I think this is the last year of this current format. So you're right. Maybe it all switches up next season. Because there is no more swing season. It's something different now, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, the last event of the year is the Tour Championship. But I believe the swing season is its own weird identity now. Like you can play yourself onto Tour during the yep. swing season. So you'll get more corn fair. Like it will almost be like a weird preseason where you might get mm-hmm. a cameo from Scotty Scheffler at yeah. the Houston open, but that might be it. Yep. I think that's what the idea is, is that, that there's, there's less tour cards that people are going to be able to retain. I think it's 80. So then like those next 40 spots are going to be up for grabs in the fall. Yeah. And I, I think that actually makes it some like very good competition. It's not, it Hey, here, let's play the Sanderson farms where one of these four guys is going to win. Cause they're way better than everyone else. <laughs> very good point. Um, back to the odds board. We get a lot of the euros back. We get Fleetwood. We get Hatton. We get Lowry guys that we haven't seen. They're all in like this pretty high 60 to like Shane Lowry's 80 to one on DraftKings. He just, let me see. I had some, I had some numbers up on Shane Lowry. He, he almost won the event in Abu Dhabi. I believe he was leader after three rounds and had a terrible Sunday. He won the BMW championship. Um, we wanted to talk about the Honda earlier. He should have won the Honda last year if it wasn't for that 18th hole. So he's playing pretty well. He's he's maybe the best PGA Tour player out of the the bunkers in terms of sand saves, which you mentioned earlier. Seems like a big number on on Lowry. It does. It was 60 when I saw it this morning. I didn't realize it had dipped so low. So if like you have your guys at the top that you like, so I just I bet the numbers on JT Morikawa and Hideki. So those were the three bets that I had in. Jeff and I grabbed a KH Lee 130 from like three weeks ago. It's probably already dropped back down to 130. He's back to 100 to one now. So Mm -hmm. no great, no great value on that one. But after that, like if you do want to take, this is is so much different because I've seen a lot of people quote like, well, I think you even said it like the average winner here is like 46 to one. Well, this field's not usually this good either. So you're most likely going to get someone from 30 to one or below. So how many guys do you really want to take? And does that mean that the long shots have a lesser chance? I believe that they do this week, but if you're going to take a long shot, at least take a long shot with pedigree. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Shane Lowry, 80 to one, as you mentioned, Sam Burns, I I think he's 45. Now you can still catch the 55. If you want to like Shane Lowry is a major winner. And it's not like it was 20 years. It's not Jason Duffner. Like, over a decade ago that he won he won last year like you mentioned at wentworth he's won an open championship hell he's won playing desert golf on the dp world tour so i just think he's <laughs> perfectly situated to this course it's just he's another guy who can't pot i know 
I know it's been bad, but the approach numbers have been really solid. I think in Abu Dhabi, he gained like nine strokes on approach. He's top 10 here um, on Fantasy National in the last 36 rounds, just pulling PGA Tour numbers. So I'd rather have Lowry than I would Fleetwood or Hatton. Agreed, although I'm such a slut for Hatton. I love Hatton. <laughs> um, Hatton a risk for Live Tour, you think? I don't think so, no. I think he would have done it by now, right? Yeah, I assume he was one of the first asks, and he was just, eh cares yeah see woos up here at 90 anything there nah not for me not here although it's funny because you know players championship windham he's one of those guys who's won both those events but mm-hmm. honestly you can just you can call him the pete die and pete die adjacent winner on the pga yeah. tour and like the sony perfectly falls in line with that I think your 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 main point is right, where you kind of have to almost bet this thing like a major championship. We kind of have to treat it like that, given the given the field strength is unbelievable and better than it's ever been here before. Is there a certain when creating a betting card? Are you stringent in trying to hit a certain number? Like for me, that's usually around eight to one in terms of like that's what I want my payout to be across all bets. Because if I bet eight outright, seven of them are going to lose, right? Um, or do you kind of work that in and be consistent with it every week? Or is it more kind of off the cuff? Like I see this, I'm going to take this and just play it out in that way. I think it depends on the event. Like I had okay. eight outright bets last week at Pebble Beach. And I think if I had won, it was something like 15 to 16 times my money. It was actually my lowest investment week, despite the fact that my card had more guys on it than ever. Now, obviously I didn't win, so I got wiped out. But when Ben Griffin at 65 to one, is the lowest guy on your card. You, know, you have some margin for error here and you don't have to invest that much money. So it's more of like a scratch off lottery type event. I, cause it felt like guys from down the board had a chance to win at Pebble beach. Cause it was not a strong field. And I'd play it the exact same way again. I'd lose again because Justin Rose yeah. won and I just wasn't going to get there with his number this week. I think it's sort of the opposite that I don't want to take too many long shots because I just don't see it happening. And yeah, I try to keep it between five and eight to one essentially is what all my bets will somehow pile up to. I don't like to go anywhere below five, but sometimes I can't help myself and I don't no. want to miss out on so- it. Listen, this is why I'm not a professional better. And this is how right. most people bet, but I do want my wins to mean something. If they do yes. win to my bankroll to keep me going throughout the course of the year, like hitting Max Homa. It's funny that it feels like I've been shitting on Max. Homa. I, mean, I just bet him to win and he won. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I, I do love Max Homa. I, I don't want to feel like that's not the case here. Uh, I just happen to have Colin Morikawa as my favorite player who's won me the most money of any player outside of Danny Willett. So I have a long, good history with Colin Morikawa, especially when we start venturing into the territory of these numbers. But yeah, five to eight to one on return on my money, depending on the week is usually what I aim for. And don't right now I have a lot more than that. So, you know, I have, I have a few extra bets I can make. Yeah. So I hit Justin Rose today, but the man single handedly who has lost me the most money is Denny McCarthy. And he was close and made a run. Who's lost you the most money over the years. You just can't get right. Who have I never got right? I mean, I didn't hit any of the Schefflers, and I used to bet Scheffler all the time. Mm-hmm. Who else? It's probably him. Yeah. Just because he went on that run, but it was it's hard when you're used to betting a guy and you consistently bet him at 40 to one. He got the one win that you missed. And then ever since then, you can't get him like north of 20 pretty much. I don't think I've ever bet on Rom and he's won. 
I've never had rum. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, most of the guys that I've bet on that haven't won, like aren't near the top of the leaderboard, like the betting cards anymore uh, because they're not good. (laughs) That's my thing with Denny, man. It's like, I I just, I feel like I'm stuck to it. So I, I, I've had success with a couple of these guys. Like Svensson last year was one for me. I'm, I'm like, I believe in this guy. He's my guy. And I'm just going to keep betting him. And finally, I got him. I feel like uh, that's going to hit home one day for McCarthy. But uh, that still remains to be seen. 45 to 1, though, last week. I would rather have him at a bigger number when he's not playing so well. And maybe it'll cash at 80 to 1. So I can actually get all my money back on him one day. I mean, that happened to me and Luke List. It can happen exactly. anywhere. Exactly. Uh, Pat, thank you so much for, for hopping on the show and interrupting bedtime and your evening schedule to be on Preferred Lines. Um, I really appreciate it. Obviously, Mayo Media Network, Pat Mayo Experience, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube channels. What else you got going on this week for, for Phoenix? The Listener's League, I finally got the link. So that is now in the YouTube show. Obviously, it's the best tournament on DraftKings, and I would encourage yes. everyone to go play in it i uh, get your three spots I, why i don't understand how people could play listen to me talk on my show play on DraftKings, yet not play in the pat mayo experience listeners league knowing it's no rake like what are you doing i know it's like a juice-free sports book you'd rather go lay like minus 130 odds than than play the the even odd no rake pat mayo experience contest the best one on, on DraftKings, like you said and you know that i'm in it so you know i'm not i mean i did win once that was nice that, that that's right you did i mean the, the guy that I, the guy that i've bet on the most who's lost the most money was is me <laughs> <laughs> so you've got three dead entries in it so now you only have to beat uh 2997 others exactly and if people do want to go check out fantasynational.com because they're just getting into it right now fantasynational.com slash mayo will get you 20 percent off any membership level i always recommend to people if they want to test the waters a little bit because riv next week is going to be fun as well just wait till wednesday get a weekly on the 20 percent off i think it brings it down to seven bucks but if you get it on wednesday you get wednesday to wednesday which means you still have time to do your research generate your lineups for Phoenix, then you get all of next week plus all the live stats this week. So it's you make basically make it a two for one for yourself. The best way to get in the waters. And you would mention run the Sims off the top. Run the yes. Sims is free for the Super Bowl if people want to go take that a test drive. Uh, it's completely customizable. It's built on ten thousand simulations, but you can punch in the numbers that you want to simulate everything ten thousand times. So whether that's creating showdown lineups for DraftKings or other daily fantasy places or even just checking out all the prop tools for both medium projections high upside projections we even have a prop range finder where you can type in the vig along with the yardage and the player and it will tell you here's how often it hits and whether or not that is a good bet even with the vig uh, which has been very helpful for me this year and all that is free this week you just got to punch in your email and boom you're good to go you got like usfl stuff on there and and all the other leagues too starts next week you xfl Starts XFL, next week, maybe. and like I know, I know that sounds really stupid, but it was a fucking print fest last year <laughs> with Run the Zoom. It has. I I can imagine if you have a sharp person who understands what's going on there, it's gonna be it's gonna be probably the the loosest lines you'll catch. Like I. I played, I just, I stopped paying it because the prize pools on DraftKings just got so horrible by like week five of USFL. But for the first five weeks, I think I ended up winning. Like I was, 
I know how how good Justin had been with XFL first time around. It's like, all right, I'm going to trust Justin's numbers and just go with this. I was like max entering turn. I never max enter tournaments, like showdown tournaments, like the the four game slates and just having that many different combinations. It was just like a train of run the Sims people at the very top because the projections were dead on. But the big thing was the individual player props where you weren't going to find them on a sports box prize picks had them yeah. all. I won like, 15k on prize picks just because of usfl awesome stuff man um i appreciate you coming on the show again it's always you know you know fat it's always a little unnerving having you on because you, why you, you talk <laughs> it's not like you don't talk to me i know i listen here's why because you push back on me on stuff and a lot of my guests to their credit or whatever it is don't really do that so when you push back on xander and homa i think it helps me it makes me better i enjoy it even though it is a little bit unnerving you gave me some great advice sort of and, and anyone great advice on sort of growing their platform and audience so um it's always awesome to have you on the show and i appreciate you uh accepting the invitation as you always graciously do you always say people are like afraid to ask you but every time i say something to you you're you're very kind in your response so it was great to have you on once again you will notice the guests on my show, predominantly the ones that I have on all of the time, are the people who fight with me. That's right. I hope to be back on soon. It's been a little while. Um, my, it ha- well, I don't have like rotating guests anymore. I know. So it's, I know. That's what it is. It makes it so I have to like carve out special shows so I can have on people that I really like talking to. I, it's gonna now that football is over. Like I, I have a designated free day essentially every single week. So I got to figure out what I'm going to do with that. And just, it can be anything like the show that I did with Pizzola last week was great. That was a fun one. I really enjoyed that. Cause he just, he has a lot of insight to stuff that both me and I think the audience don't have insight to, and I can be a conduit to ask those questions, but I, I want to be like, I don't get to talk to Raza enough anymore. And like, I used to talk to Raza every week. I got, I have to now figure out a way to come up with topics that are like relatively evergreen that people would still want to listen to every single Thursday that they can kind of, Hey, the first round of golf's on, I'm at work, I'm on my commute. What can I kill 90 minutes with? And just have all the people that I really like back on all the time. Well, we hope that that the fantasy uh, stream, ESPN Plus, whatever it is, comes to fruition soon, and you should be one of the top names uh, on their list. So it's great to talk to you again. How are you doing in the in the uh, season long draft? By the way, that we had, I think I'm in second because Pat has Rom. Nice. Well, yeah, Pat Pat's has Rom out there. So I have Morikawa. He was my first pick. So obviously, he's been doing very well. Davis Thompson, who I like in this event, by the way. Huge. Uh, I think he's 250 to one at DraftKings. I, uh, you know, getting a, getting a second place finish already at a Davis Thompson, I think made him more well <laughs> worth the last round pick. Hey, Davis Thompson in the desert. That could be the new narrative. We got to watch out for. I, I believe I've actually said that already this week. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm just making it up as I go along. <laughs> Aren't we all great to have you on, man. I'll talk to you soon. See you, man. See it. All right. What a great conversation with Pat Bayo. Um, like I mentioned, the godfather of tour betting content. Um, so I'm going to get into sort of the final thoughts segment. I appreciate all you guys for, for checking out the show. Thank you for all who have sort of liked and commented here. So I did a segment to end last week that was kind of unusual. And I've been doing this uh, with, with Byron that I talked to with a very open and, and candid conversation about some, some like just personal struggles that are going through. Um, and I wanted to kind of, circle back on that. I found it awesome. All of you that sort of reached out in support of me. um, And I received within the golf Twitter community and just people that said, you know, we appreciate you sharing your story and we're going through something similar. So hearing some of your stories 
helped me. I want you guys to know that. Um, made some of the struggles and qualms with my life pale in comparison to hear what some of you uh, some of you guys are going through and it helps put perspective uh on everything which is inherently something that i struggle with more than anything i think is having a good perspective i was always like super into stats i think it's one of the reasons that i'm into like sports gambling and picks and DraftKings and all this stuff now is i was super into statistics from a very young age i've always been drawn to them Um, i used to play like sega video baseball games and record my players stats in a notebook like batting averages before video games could even keep your stats for you i was doing it myself um so i like know and have this feeling that uh, you know the wheel can't always spin black right no matter how good things are going you feel like red is coming no matter how many times it's spun black you know red is coming um so it's difficult to sometimes enjoy Um, Some moments when it's really good because I feel like the ball is going to drop and I know that something bad is going to sort of offset that. And sometimes the way your brain is wired, you will manufacture that bad when it's not really there. And I think part of that is what I was doing and not looking at things through a particular lens the way that I should have. Um, What if good things just keep coming to you? I put this out there last week. This is sort of a great example. Um, It was probably one of my highest rated shows ever in terms of downloads, engagement, whatever. Um, I hit the winner. I won the DraftKings contest that I'm in with Chad. I won my my season-long fantasy league. I was able to land the great Pat Bale on the podcast tonight. Um, I picked up hopefully some new friends and audience in support of the content, and, and I remain true to myself, which, which I hold in high regard. I think I sort of broke a cardinal rule in media in which you don't want to break the fourth wall, per se. Um, I don't know if that's the right terminology, but oftentimes you're told not to mix your on-screen persona with who you are off the screen. Um, I think that that was a very tried and true older method of, of anyone who does traditional media. I think that that's sort of evolving and changing. People don't just want to hear your picks. I've hit four this year. They don't. It doesn't really uh, change anything in terms of what people and how many people are viewing the show. What changes it is when I do things like that. Um, They don't follow you for the long shots, the course stats, the picks. Um, They follow you because you make a connection with them. So I think that I sort of fundamentally disagree in that approach is sort of changing. And I feel like just for me, this may not be for everyone, but I was able to form a connection there with anyone watching. And I hope that I've continued to able to do that with this segment and create a relatability with with my audience that people can appreciate maybe it's a breath of fresh air um shit a podcast mixing golf gambling picks with mental health talks has to be so unusual and awkwardly unique uh and so random that no one would ever think of that that maybe it's maybe it's crazy enough to work. Um, Thank you for being a part of the ride. I can't wait to catch you next week. Enjoy Phoenix. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Have some good appetizers. Make some good food for the family. Have a few drinks. Love a moment in life each day. And we'll talk to you next Monday. Thanks for checking out another episode of Preferred Lines. I'm Joe Idoni. I'm out of here. Peace.